Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. And uh, if you have a Bible, um, then I'd love it if you'd turn to the Gospels and to Mark's Gospel in chapter 2. Now, if, you, if you're not really familiar with the Bible, then uh, basically you need to turn right to the end, to the maps, and then turn left. And when you get to, um, you'll get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in what is known as the New Testament. And, and in Mark's Gospel, what we have is the, um, the eyewitness of somebody who hung around with Jesus. And what you're going to get is, is um, a, a retelling, a recounting of the story of Jesus. This, he did this, and he went this way, and these things happened. A well-attested account of this historical figure. He did these things. And, and we're going to expect that as we start talking about these things, God is going to say stuff to our lives. And you're going to know that's going to happen because what's going to happen is I'm going to be rambling away and talking about stuff. And every now and again, you're going to go, wow. That actually made some sense. Maybe that's real and maybe that's true. Maybe that impacts my life. Maybe that can change stuff. And, uh, and so let's read together. Um, but let's start with, with this thought. Your felt need is not always your greatest need. In other words, what you think you want out of life, what you think you need out of life, you probably do need it, but it's not usually your greatest need. And you think you need wealth, health, friendships, whatever they are, you think you need something, but usually it's not your greatest need. And it's really relevant because over the last few weeks, we've had a whole bunch of political parties trying to second guess what our felt need is. And how we're somehow going to connect with them because they can meet our felt need or the, the thing they think we want out of life, whether it's education or the National Health Service or security or the economy or, or, or national or, or national product, whatever it is, they're, they're designed to try and help us believe that they can we can get it through through them. But the Bible says again and again and again this your greatest need is usually not your felt need. It's not what you actually need when push comes to shove. You need something bigger than this. Let's read together from Mark chapter 2. And uh, it's a story of Jesus. And it's very early on in his ministry and his life. And he's showed up and he started to talk about God. I mean, it's incredible stuff. He's like center spread news. He's, he's, he's all over the place. You know, he's kind of Nicola Sturgeon to the power 10. You know, everyone's talking about Jesus. You know, he heals people. People get their lives transformed. He talks about God as if he knows God. He speaks with authority, not like some of the teachers of the law who just yada, yada, yada. He's talking about God and it's making sense. And then we read this. A few days later, this is Mark 2. A few days later, when, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he'd come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. 
Since they couldn't get into Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. I just have to stop for a moment because some of you are thinking, really? I mean, like digging through a roof. That's because you're thinking about a house like I would think about a house. You know, four windows and a path up the front and a roof that was kind of pointy. But, but back in the day, in Jesus' day, that's not what houses looked like. They were square things built of stone. And, and, and on the top, they had a flat roof, which was like an extra room. It was where you put the, the hot tub and the barbecue and the sun lounger. And, and people didn't access that roof terrace by going through the house. You accessed the roof terrace by going up around the side of the house. So the moment you start hearing they're digging through the roof, you can understand that because it's made of sticks and rubble and stones and they replaced it every year. They lowered the man through the roof. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? What is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So let's deal with this story. Because I think in dealing with this story, we're going to understand that our felt need is not always our greatest need. And that God wants to deal with something which is deeper than the thing you think you need more than anything else in life. Jesus had just launched his ministry. And he was big news. And everyone was talking about Jesus. And he comes to a place called Capernaum, which is just a few miles north of his hometown, a place called Nazareth. And he was like the hometown boy done good. And everyone wanted to get a piece of Jesus. He was like the northern boy done good. And they're hanging around him. And he gets to a house to teach. And everyone suddenly hears that Jesus is there. And what do they want? They all want to see a healing. I mean, you would too, wouldn't you? You want to see someone healed so that you could feel good about the fact that God is real, but also you you could tell your grandkids that you were there when Jesus did a healing. And so you're there, and everyone is there, and it's like a rammy in this house. And then four men show up carrying their pal. Their pal was paralyzed, and it's obvious why they want to get him to Jesus, because he's, he can't walk, and they just want to get him to Jesus because they've heard that Jesus heals people. Jesus can change stuff, and they can't get in because they're late. And it's rammed, and they're kind of pushed through and barged through, and they can't get through. And everyone's going, shh, Jesus is teaching. So they do what you'd expect them to do back in the Middle East. They go up the side of the house onto the roof, and they dig through the roof. And we know that's perfectly acceptable, because the preacher told us about five minutes ago. So they're digging through the roof. And Jesus is teaching. And he's in the middle of an incredible teach, I'm sure. But, but in the middle of that teach, there starts to be a noise on the roof. 
There's a scratching and there's a digging and there's a banging and then, and then all this dust and all this dirt and all these sticks start to fall on the Savior of the world and suddenly nobody is listening to Jesus' teaching anymore. The sermon is done and this hole appears and the sunlight comes through the hole and then something starts to be descended from that hole and it's coming down like this and initially no one knows what it is and then suddenly they realize it's a guy on a stretcher and it's funny. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but you could bet it's funny. Maybe even Jesus giggles. I don't know. But somebody in the crowd definitely giggles because you shouldn't giggle in those kind of moments. But it's funny. There's a guy face to face with Jesus, and he's looking like this, and he's a bit embarrassed, and no one knows what to say. And Jesus looks at this guy, and verse 5, seeing their faith... Seeing the faith of the guys, not not this guy, but those guys who've come expecting their mates to walk out of here. I mean, if he doesn't, it's all a bit embarrassing. Seeing their faith, he says to the guy, son, your sins are forgiven. It's like so disappointing. In fact, it's a little bit offensive. And some people in the room are mad. I mean, that's just disappointing. Everyone knows why he's come, and he knows why he's come, and everyone's expecting him to be healed. And and instead of healing the guy, Jesus has pointed out that he's a sinner, and that's just offensive stuff. And there are other people in the room, we're told, they're called the religious leaders. There are always religious leaders around, and they're never very happy about anything. And they're kind of looking grumpy and they're they're waiting to trip Jesus up. And they're getting mad at this point because they're saying, no one can forgive sin but God alone. Who does this guy think he is? And by the way, forgiving sins is an expensive and costly and, and difficult business. It keeps us in a job, is what they're thinking. And they're thinking that just like that. And some people are going, but we came for a healing. And the guy who owns the house is thinking, who's paying for the roof? And the guys who lowered the guy, they're thinking, who's bringing Jesus? Who's bringing this guy back up again? And, and the guy who's standing looking at Jesus is just really embarrassed by the whole thing. It's genius. Honestly, this is genius. Jesus has just got everybody where he wants them. Because he wants to shine a blinding light into their eyes to show them that their felt need is not their greatest need. And he has just given to this guy exactly what he needs. Verse seven, knowing what was in their hearts, because he's God. Verse eight, he says, what is easier to say to this guy, you know, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. I mean, really, we could do either of these things. And you know, I understand all of this stuff. I totally understand the whole temptation to live for your felt need rather than your greatest need. You get it as well. When I, at the moment I was born and from, from that moment onwards, there were certain things that I wanted in my life. They were felt needs. I, I want health. I want to be the healthiest guy that ever lived. I want nothing ever to go wrong with me. And one day I want to die in my sleep with no pain and no problems. That's what I want. That's probably what you want as well. I mean, you don't want everything to go wrong, do you? You want health. You want some wealth as well, I guess. I know that those of us who, you know, spiritual leaders don't ever admit this stuff, but I want some wealth. Honestly, 
I want to make choices in life. I want to buy nice shoes. I want to, I want to have a nice, you know, I want, I want stuff. And so do you want stuff. And it's not wrong to want stuff. I want some of those things in my life. I want companionship. I want people to like me. Honestly, sometimes I don't go the right way about it. But I want people to like me. I want people to, to befriend me. I want people to love me. I want people to be around my life who care for me. I want those kind of things in my life. And I want to live my life for something that means something. I want to live my life so that I leave something significant. When I, That's just the way I am. I want those things. But I almost never think, do you know what I really want is forgiveness. I don't wake up in the morning and think what I want today is forgiveness. I wake up in the morning and think what I want is coffee. I don't, I don't get out of bed and think, whoa, I really need some big forgiveness today. But Jesus says, this is the thing you need more than anything else. The top of my list for you is forgiveness. That, that's what you need. Your primary need is forgiveness. And, and indeed, all those other things are left in your life. All that desire for companionship, all that desire for wealth, all that desire for health, all those things, I'm going to leave those in your life, and you're going to know they can satisfy a bit, but they're never ultimately going to satisfy, because it will lead you to the fact that ultimately you need something that's way beyond all that. You need connection with your heavenly Father. You need to be in a relationship with the person that made you. You need to be forgiven, because one stage in your life, you stuck two fingers up at God, and you ran in the opposite direction, and then you tried to do wise stuff when he's the source of wisdom. How's that going to work? You need forgiveness because you're broken and you've been broken. You need it restored. And this is the only way it's going to happen. Your felt need is not always your greatest need. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, but literally the Greek language, so that you might know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Get up, take up your mat, and walk. Just, let's just stop for a moment. This is huge. Why does he use the word authority? I'll tell you. Because he wants his listeners to know that he has authority not just over sin, but he has authority over the consequences of sin which is huge. Jesus is saying, what I'm going to do is I'm going to remove some of the consequences of sin, sickness and death and pain and, 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 and even death. So you will know that this isn't just talk, it's reality. Get up, take up your mat, and walk. And now the crowd are ecstatic. I mean, this is what they came for. Come on, we can tell the grandkids. We saw a healing. I feel a healing coming on. We with the whole thing. It's just incredible. One day I'm going to preach in a black church in the deep south. Somebody hold my Bible. Just, you know, just don't know where that came from. But just that's what they came for. And this amazed everybody. And it will amaze you. When you and I realize our real and deepest need is to be right with our Heavenly Father, when you and I realize that whatever we get in our life of our felt needs, we're never going to be able to make it, we're never going to be able to fix it, we're never going to be able to run it without the God who set it in motion in the first place. 
when you and I realize that's why God sent Jesus, to rip down the barrier between a holy God and a broken and messed up people who stick fingers up at him and say, we can do life in our own strength. I am going to demonstrate, says Jesus, that I have the authority to offer this by healing you of some of the consequences. You are forgiven. Why is, why is this so hard? I mean, this is hard for us, isn't it? This is not a, an easy, simple teaching. This is hard for us. It's hard for us because we are so expert at divorcing the consequences of sin from the act of sin. We're brilliant at it. We never say to ourselves, well, the reason that my finances are so screwed up and messed up and the reason I'm struggling is because there's sin in this world. We say the reason that my finances are so screwed up is because someone screwed me or because, or, or because uh, you know, the banks were bad or because I made a foolish decision or because someone did a bad deal. We never say the reason that these things are the way they are is because as a people we have run away from a God who has a better plan for our lives. We just don't do that. We never say the reason that our relationships got messed up, the reason that, that people were bad to us, the reason that we had a difficult time was because there is sin in this world. Because as a people, as a body for generations, we've said, God, we don't need you. We don't want to live according to your rules and your regulations. We have no desire to live according to your framework. We can do life better on our own. How foolish. We don't say that. We say, well, it was because they made a mess or they were horrible or they were badly parented or whatever, whatever it is. The big problem is sin. No, no, what we do is we blame God. We say, why God? We say, why did you let that happen? Where were you when, when this was going on? Why, why did you do that? And God says, do you know what? That's why I wrote Genesis 1 and 2. He doesn't quite say that, but more or less he does. That's why I wrote Genesis 1 and 2. That's why I told you that I gave you free will, but humanity decided to rebel against me. That's why I showed you why sin entered the world and what happened in, when sin entered the world and why war happens and why pain happens and why disease happens and why famine, because we ran away from the perfect plan of God. That's why I put it in there in the first place. So you would know, you would know that what you need above everything else is forgiveness and restoration. Now let me just do a little aside. Jesus is not saying in any way, shape, or form that that man's illness is a consequence of his own sin. In fact, on one occasion, his disciples come to him and they say, you know, did he sin or did his parents sin that he should be sick? And Jesus says, no, 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 you've, you've totally got the wrong idea here. I don't do that to people. Humanity does it to itself. My, my gift is forgiveness. My gift is restoration. My gift is love. My gift is purpose. My gift is future. It's your most urgent need. Back to Jesus. What, what, what the audience didn't know at the time, but what you and I do know because we live in a different epoch, is that this same Jesus who says to that guy, son, your sins are forgiven, a matter of months later goes to a cross and he dies. The Bible says that he intended to do so, so that when he dies, he might take on our pain, our shame, our punishment on him and gain the authority to say, son, your sins are forgiven.
your um, felt need is not always your greatest need. But Jesus says this, at the top of my list for you is forgiveness. At the top of my list for your life is restoration. At the top of my ambition for you is you being restored to the relationship that you were created to be in. And all these other things, all these other needs, all these other desires, I leave them in your life so that one day you would realize that they are not going to satisfy you and you would come looking for the thing that you need more than anything else. You are forgiven. I don't know you, I don't know why you come, what you come with in your heart, I don't know whether you've never been in church before in your life, and you just think it's all a bit weirdy-weirdy, or you come every week, but I do know this, that universally it is true, that the thing we need more than anything else is forgiveness. The thing that would help us to fly in life. The thing that would help us to be right with other people. The thing that would help us deal with the stuff that gets thrown at us is to be in right relationship with the God who knows us and loves us and has a better plan for our lives than we have for our own. And so in these moments, um, while I shut up, why don't you just... Um, meet with Jesus because he's here and just tell him he already knows some stuff but just tell him your heart tell him your desires tell him your pain tell him the stuff that shouldn't have happened that did happen and ask him to forgive you it's not complicated he doesn't need a list and ask him to come in and restore you and heal you. Stop running from him. Stop blaming him. And start walking with him. Again. God, we thank you for your presence. Thank you that you speak truth. And we ask that you would uh, remove anything that was really just of the preacher and unhelpful but bug us in our hearts with stuff which was of you for our lives we ask this in Jesus name